You are listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached at Central United Methodist Church in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to worship with us in person on Saturdays at 4.30 p.m. or virtually through Zoom or Facebook on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Visit us at www.cumcballston.org. There you can learn more about our congregation and how we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. The reading today is from 1 John chapter 4, verses 10 through 19. This is love. It is not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice that deals with our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us this way, we also ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. If we love each other, God remains in us and his love is made perfect in us. This is how we know we remain in him and he remains in us, because he has given us a measure of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father had sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. If any of us confess that Jesus is God's Son, God remains in us and we remain in God. We have known and have believed the love that God has for us. God is love and those who remain in love remain in God and God remains in them. This is how love has been perfected in us, so that we can have confidence on the judgment day, because we are exactly the same as God is in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear expects punishment. The person who is afraid has not been made perfect in love. We live God because God loved us. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And for reading our scripture today. So when I was a kid, one of the musical groups on frequent rotation in our house was Peter, Paul, and Mary. Now, for some of you, you may not recognize that group. Even though they have names of all the first disciples, they were a folk group, not a Christian band. But there was one song that came to mind as I read the scripture this week. They have a line in the first stanza that says, If I had a hammer, I'd hammer out love between my brothers and my sisters all over this land. That's kind of an odd image to think about, hammering love out. I've heard that idiom to hammer out details when talking about contracts, negotiating an agreement between two parties. But it actually makes a lot of sense if you stop to think about figuring out the details of how you love someone. I mean, a contract is really just simply giving some roles and responsibilities to each party in a relationship. We usually think of it in the formal type of relationship, like a landlord to a tenant, or between two businesses, or between a vendor and a client, or an employer and an employee. We don't usually think about this type of negotiation between family and friends, and yet... We'd probably resolve a lot of conflicts between family and friends if we took the time to hammer out the details of what love looks like. What would that mean if we took the time to really look and discuss and agree on what it means to love one another? Would we limit that love only to people who believe just like us, who think like us, who speak like us, people who vote like us? Would our brothers and sisters be people just like us, so it's easy to hammer out the details of love? Well, our scripture this morning, or for us in this room, it's this afternoon, but as you're hearing this online, our scripture this morning comes from a pastoral letter 
for a community in conflict, struggling to love one another. Biblical scholar Raymond Brown attributed the writings of these epistles of John to the community of the beloved disciple. They had been having so much conflict that some people were leaving. So this letter is written from a perspective of an insider in a community imploring others to live in alignment with God to help resolve a conflict. Chapter 4 goes right to the heart of who God is and declares, God is love. Verse 11 says, Dear friends, if God loved us this way, we also ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. If we love each other, God remains in us, and God's love is made perfect in us. It's not simply enough to say that we love God. When we respond to the love that God gives to us, it naturally involves extending that love to others. If we invite Jesus over to dinner, much like we're about to do in a few moments when we share communion, we have to remember that Jesus is going to bring all of his friends with him, people that we might not want to sit down and share a meal with. But when we share Holy Communion, we get a glimpse of the heavenly feast that God prepares because God is the host at this table. And there will be seats at this table for all of the people in this room, the people who are worshiping around the world online, and also for all the people with whom I disagree, and yet who are also beloved children of God. If we choose not to love another child of God, then we are also choosing not to love God. For God is love. This idea of God as love might seem overly familiar to us today. We might miss out on what an absolutely astounding theological claim this truly is. If we think back to the ancient world, the community to whom these pastoral letters were first written, we would remind ourselves that there was more than one God. There were many gods. There was many mythologies. And so many of those gods were capricious, controlling, and demanding. Love would not be a word to describe the character of God or the relationship between God and their adherence in many of the early religions. In the ancient world, the theological claim that God is love would have been absolutely shocking or even absurd. That's why the Apostle Paul elsewhere describes the good news of Jesus Christ as foolishness to the Greeks. The gospel, after all, goes against the common experience of life for so many. In so many parts of the world, ancient days, and even today, life is a struggle just to have the resources to live and to eat. So many people in ancient days and still today live in scarcity and strife. So many in ancient days and still today live with the reality of war. So to claim that God is love is indeed good news, especially when this love becomes embodied in the community, the beloved community, the body of Christ. 
When the church has the opportunity to proclaim to the world with both words and deeds that God is love, this is good news. When the church, the body of Christ, can proclaim that there is a table for all God's children to come and find their seat, this means that we are bearers of good news. The good news that God is for you, God is with you, God cares for you, and yes, God loves you. Love is what unites us as the body of Christ. Love unites us first in union with our triune God, and then also in relationship with each other. It's important for us not to get stuck in sentimentality, though. And sometimes it's too easy to stay at that superficial level where there's no conflict because we don't really know each other. The love which we offer the world is a love offered by God that is fiercely strong. A love that would go so far as to embody Jesus's love, which shows us how to live and indeed live a sacrificial life. He showed us that for him, love meant going to the cross and embracing death and then bringing resurrection to this world to prove that death has been defeated. The scripture this morning put it this way. This is love. It is not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the sacrifice that deals with our sins. The scripture goes on to say, we have known and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Those who remain in love remain in God, and God remains in them. If we don't love, we can't know God. It's like saying that if we don't have oxygen, we can't breathe. And then once we draw our first breath in life, why would we ever stop breathing? God has given us this love, and when we first inhale this love, why would we ever stop responding with love again? Now, last week, we heard St. Paul talk about love in the 13th chapter of the first letter to the church at Corinth. In that letter, he taught us that it was the more excellent way to use our spiritual gifts in a spirit of love. We looked at a few practical ways that scripture named how we can love each other. But this week, we look at the theological root of this love. It's not an obligation. It's not simply a commandment filled with responsibility. But our love for God is a response to God's love for us. As United Methodists, we believe in the experience of grace, encountering God's love for ourselves. And we often use three different terms to refer to the various ways that we experience God's love and grace. The first is an older term called provenient grace. It talks about the grace that goes before us to allow us to say yes to God in our life. Provenient grace is just a fancy church word to say God loved us first. And because God loved us first, we can respond in love. 
Then we will talk about a justifying grace. This is that moment when we ourselves choose to respond to God's love by saying, yes, I accept God's love for myself and I will then love others. And following that is a lifetime of going onward to perfection. The scripture we heard made it clear that it's not perfection that we don't make mistakes, but it's being made perfect in love. We call this the work of sanctifying grace, the Holy Spirit in us, giving us the capacity to grow more and more perfect in love. This is where we grow more capable of loving our neighbors. This is where we grow more capable of loving our siblings with whom we disagree. Sanctifying grace is like hammering out love between our brothers and our sisters all over this land. Many translations of the fourth chapter of 1 John say that God's love is perfected when people love one another. The Greek word here is based on the word telos, which means goal. The idea is that God's love reaches its goal when it creates relationships of love with people and relationships among people. Love as an abstract notion falls short. It's not perfect. When the love of God finds expression in human love, the relationships between people who would otherwise have nothing in common besides God's love for them, that is when love is made perfect. So beloved children of God, those of you online and those of you here in the room with me, I invite you this week to join me in allowing God to continue to perfect us in love. Not in a vague, not in a sentimental way, not in a self-righteous way, but in the way of Jesus Christ, the one who sat with sinners, who broke bread with people who did not agree with him, and who invited all to the table. So let us love one another and reach out to the world with good news because God has first loved us. Thanks be to God. Amen.